You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Greetings, there you are. So lovely to see you all again. Do forgive the brief break in operations. I finally came down with the dreaded virus and quite honestly, couldn't actually talk for a while there. Heaven chanted by children who became masters of asking for favours from the end of the garden as they ran for the school bus. Okay, thanks, Dad. I'll tell my friends it's fine if I get my ear pierced. While I stood there shaking my fist and refusing like some angry goldfish. But the power's back with me now, temporarily at least, and just in time, as I think Matilda wanted a face tattoo there for a minute. Anyway, here we are again, it's December. I hope you statesiders had a marvellous Thanksgiving, and that wherever you are in the world, you're gearing yourselves up for a lovely holiday season. This is not a Christmas special, but spoiler alert, there is one of those coming later this month. No, I just thought I'd sneak another appearance in under the wire before 2022 comes to a close. And what better way to do it than in the company of you fine people and to the glorious golden strains of Johnny Mercer and Joe Stafford. Candy, I call my sugar candy Because I'm sweet on candy and candy's sweet on me She understands me My understanding candy And candy's always handy When I need sympathy I wish that there were four of her So I could love much more of her She has taken my complete heart Got a sweet tooth for my sweetheart candy It's gonna be just day I take my candy and make her mine, all mine. Candy's sweet on me. Mm. 
way to begin. That was Candy from Johnny Mercer, Joe Stafford and the Pied Pipers. Hey, it's Hasbro. Hasbro makes toys. What's new, Hasbro? Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head with their own cars and trailers. That's what's new. See, Mr. Potato Head has a car and boat trailer. And there's a car and shopping trailer for his wife, Mrs. Potato Head. It's such fun to do and so easy. Like this. Take any fruit or vegetable. Just stick in eyes, then ears, and then the mouth. I'm sure this is how Little Shop of Horrors started. You can make the funniest looking people in the whole world. Potato Head people look different every time you make them. Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head with cars and trailers come in one and two dollar sizes. What else is new, Hasbro? A vanity case with toy cosmetics and beautiful accessories. Oh, every boy's dream toy. And real-looking doctor and nurse kits. Yeah, I think that's a present for the old parents myself. What else is new, Hasbro? Give Hasbro a break, would you? Go and deface some fruit and vegetables. Or should that be re-face? Anyway, on to some movies. Now, one of the noirs that keeps on giving is a reunion for one of noir's best ever duos, Dana Andrews and Jean Tierney, who are most remembered for their 1944 thriller, Laura, but who actually starred together five times in total. We're taking a trip on over to their final pairing, 1950's Where the Sidewalk Ends, which was directed by Laura's very own Otto Preminger, with a superb script by Ben Hecht, and don't let that 1950s tag fool you into thinking that this is a Johnny-come-lately noir. This stands shoulder to shoulder with the finest murky parables out there. Here's a clip. Sit down, Dixon. We've had 12 more legitimate citizen complaints against you this month for assault and battery. From who? Hoods, dusters, mugs, a lot of nickel rats. You're a big disappointment to me, Dixon. You've just seen a man who started out at the same time you did take a big step up in the department, which is something you'll never do unless you get hold of yourself. I know what to get hold of, sir. A little more pull. Sit still. You've got to learn, Dixon, what's expected of a police officer and what isn't. Yes, sir. I'll try to learn not to hate hoods so much. You don't hate hoodlums. You like to beat them up. You get fun out of it. You like to read about yourself in the newspapers as the tough cop who isn't afraid to wade in anywhere. Your job is to detect criminals, not to punish them. Dana Andrews plays detective Mark Dixon, a cop who's notorious in the department for being far too rough when it comes to handling bad guys. You see, Dixon's father was a criminal, and he's always taken out his vendetta against lowlives with his fists, in a kind of twisted way of rebelling against his own heritage. 
It's fine to think that criminals are scum, but there's due process to consider, and when one of Dixon's arrests comes back with a dozen more bruises than he needed, Dixon finds himself busted down. I'm reducing your rag, Dixon. You're going back to second grade. Any more complaints against you for cruelty or roughhouse, and you'll be back in uniform, pounding a beat. It's no fun telling you this. You're a good man with a good brain. But you're no good to the department unless you learn to control yourself. Meanwhile, across town, a crooked dice game has been set up by mobster Tommy Scalise. He's almost succeeded in fleecing a fortune out of naive businessman Mr. Morrison, and just one more roll of the dice should do it. The whole thing's been set up by Scalise's henchman, Ken Payne, who's managed to get Mr. Morrison to the card game by dangling his beautiful girl, Morgan, played by Jean Tierney. But just as Morrison's about to lose the lot, Morgan decides that she wants to go home. Tell him you changed your mind. You want to stay. No, Ken. I told you I could only stay until midnight. But you can't do this to me. I'm not doing anything to you. I brought him here. Oh, that's it. Yes, that's it. And you're fouling me up again. That's, that's all you ever do is foul me up. You're telling him to stay. No, I'm not. Why, you... Now, stick with me here, because it gets a little bit tangled. Morgan storms out when Payne slaps her. Morrison is mad about the whole situation, and he and Payne fight, which ends with Morrison being knocked out and Payne running for the hills. But when the cops arrive, Morrison isn't just out cold, he's stone cold dead. He's been stabbed to death, and Scalise is happy to put the cops on to Payne. Mr. Morrison was brought here by a fellow named Ken Payne, sort of an acquaintance of mine. There was a girl with him. I uh, didn't quite get her name. A Morgan something. Mr. Morrison wanted a little friendly play. How much did he win? He didn't win. He lost. You're lying, Scalise. Let's hear his story first, Dixon. He lost a grand or so, but he didn't care. He was making a play for this girl, showing his stuff. Payne was jealous. He hit the girl first, smacked her hard in the face, and she ran out. Then Morrison tackled Payne. Dixon is the cop who gets to pain first, but when things turn violent, Dixon's hatred for lowlives flares up. He throws pain to the floor, and the fall kills him dead. So there's your setup. Dixon, the violent cop renowned for his violent ways, has proved his critics right, and has ended up murdering a suspect. All he can do now is work from the inside of the investigation to try to frame Scalise for Payne's murder, while also trying to figure out how to hang the Morrison killing on Scalise too. Can he do both? What a tangled knot, right? And that's just the setup. It don't add up, Dixon, you staying on my neck like this. Maybe you thought you could start me running by coming after me. <laughs> well, we're not running, Dixon. We're all fixed to leave tomorrow morning. Passports in order and everything. And I'm leaving you locked in here. It'll give us something to laugh about. Such a great film, and again, a perfect example of a noir that's more substance than style, meaning that the drama of the situation is what you remember rather than the cinematography. This reminded me a lot of The Woman in the Window, that kind of nightmarish whirlpool situation from which you can see no escape. And when it's over, you find that you have no fingernails left. Otto Preminger 
always knew just how to balance his tricks in order to create iconic noir mysteries without turning them into puzzle boxes of loose threads and impenetrable dialogue. Just look at Laura or Angel Face. He also manages to keep the momentum of this thing whirling faster. Every single scene brings its own new dilemma, its own new spanner in the works. And watching Dana Andrews sweating his way into solutions is as agonizing as it is beautiful to watch. The film's second half sees Andrews and Tierney falling for each other while trying to untangle the knot. Revelations and twists compound until we get to a beautiful third act that seems to be nudging things towards a tragic, noble conclusion. But don't let it fool you. This film is far smarter than you think and the ending it goes for is far more satisfying. It has a deliciously black heart, and along with Andrews and Tierney, you also get marvellous support from the likes of Ruth Donnelly, Carl Mulden, and Bert Fried. Where the Sidewalk Ends really is a fabulously gripping thriller. Not one that seems to be mentioned often alongside the likes of the Bogart and Bacall Noirs, or the Mitchum Intrigues, but it's definitely top tier, in my opinion. Do check out Where the Sidewalk Ends if you're in the market for some of those tougher Noir-Vember chills alongside the more festive frostbite of Yuletide. On to more warm-hearted fare now, though, and a movie that would inadvertently give birth to one of the most enduring film series of the 30s and 40s. This is one of those idealized slices of life in which audiences fell head over heels for not just a character, but an entire family. Much in the same way that they did for ensembles such as the Dr. Kildare series, or the Great Gildersleeve series, or the Thin Man series. People flocked to these movies because they saw not just themselves on screen, but a version of themselves that they wanted to be. Old movie lovers adore this series because it's pure nostalgia, it's picket fences and dinner at five, and peril comes in the form of mistakenly asking the wrong person to a dance, or working out how you're going to afford that new overcoat, while dealing heavily in some weighty truths about humanity, the state of the nation, and how to treat your fellow man. I'm referring, of course, to the series that became later known as the Andy Hardy series, but which was always billed on screen as Judge Hardy's family, and rightly so. The series began by focusing upon all of the members of the Hardy clan, Judge Hardy himself, his wife Emily, their daughters Joan and Marion, the aunt who lives with them, Millie, and of course the tearaway young son, Andy. As the series went on, Andy became the focus because he was cheeky, he was charming, and crucially, he made mistake after mistake in life, which gave the writers countless chances to deal out life lessons, usually in the form of wise words from the judge. And that father-son relationship became something of an American cornerstone in popular culture. Andy was by no means a bad boy. He was just misguided and needed his father's hand on the tiller to steer him towards the right decisions from time to time. The series as a whole is one of those rose-tinted experiences that contains some of the warmest moments MGM ever created, all backed up by a stellar cast and every single dollar that MGM could afford. It was certainly a prolific series, but they had A-list budgets and weren't ever treated like B-movie filler material. 
For proof, just look at the guest stars that popped up throughout. Lana Turner, Bonita Granville, Judy Garland, Catherine Grayson, Esther Williams, Gene Reynolds, big names. One of my favorite pieces of casting trivia in the series comes in 1942's The Courtship of Andy Hardy, in which Andy has to help a shy girl find her confidence by taking her out on a series of dates, where she ends up falling for one of the town's most popular boys. The funny thing is, she's played by Donna Reed, and the boy she ends up with is played by Todd Carnes meaning that four years before It's a Wonderful Life, Mary Bailey falls into a romance with Harry Bailey. Anyway, my point is that if you want movie comfort food, then the Judge Hardy's Family series really is up there in terms of cinematic gifts. Mickey Rooney, Louis Stone, Faye Holden, Sarah Hayden, and Cecilia Parker really do make a perfect family unit, and falling in love with their household is one of old Hollywood's rites of passage that everyone should get around to. However, we're not focusing on the series as a whole today. I want instead to point you towards the very first entry, an experiment of sorts for MGM to see if the series could run. The film is called A Family Affair from 1937 and featured a very different lineup of Hardys. As Judge Hardy, we had Lionel Barrymore. As his wife Emily, we had Spring Byington. The rest of the lineup was largely the same as in future editions, but the focus here was more on the judge himself. In the small town of Carvel, Judge James Hardy is up for re-election but he's violently opposed to the building of a new public works program that he views as wasteful. That doesn't go down too well with the big businessmen in town. You'd better speed things up sufficiently to throw this barefaced attempted holdup out into the gutter before Thursday, Judge Hardy. The nominating convention, Judge. You've never had any opposition before. I understand Stubbins here is your campaign manager. He can tell you what chance you'll have if you go against the sentiment of the people. Oh, I see. Well... Good day, gentlemen. You see? I said he'd understand. Then we can go ahead. Just a minute. This is a temporary restraining order. Under the law and the showing of the attorney for the petitioner, I have no alternative but to sign it. Now, I'm not trying to quarrel with you. Well, then don't tell me how to run my court. I won't tell you how to build bridges. The businessmen conspire to oust Judge Hardy from his seat by means of a smear campaign against the judge and his family. If they can ruin his re-election campaign, then they can install a crooked judge and pass all the public work shenanigans they want. And luckily for them, the Hardy family are in the midst of a dilemma. Their oldest daughter, Joan, has come home suddenly for some reason without her husband. You and I have separated. Oh, Joan... You know the crowd we travel with. It's a fast crowd, Mother. Nice people, but going at a terrific speed. Why, from the year after we were married, I've watched my home break up. Just like the Andersons and the Tilsons and so many more. I kept it to myself because I didn't want to worry you. If you knew the hours I've spent hating myself, my life, everything about it. Bill wouldn't change. There was no hope for that. So then I got to the point where I didn't care. I hope... Oh, I hope you haven't done anything foolish. Well, there's a man in town paying a lot of attention to me. No use saying who he is. I've always kept him at a distance, even though he seemed to be on hand whenever I needed company and Bill was out. 
After five years, you get hungry for someone to say you look nice once in a while. At least know that someone gives you a passing thought now and then. Anyway, last week I was a fool. I went to the Blue Rabbit Inn with him one night. They have private dining rooms and music and all that. We had a room to ourselves. A lot of champagne. Too much. I was feeling lonely and neglected and sorry for myself. What I didn't know was that Bill was there too that night with some friends. When he saw us come in, he was furious. Turns out that Joan and her husband, Bill, are on the rocks. Joan went to a roadhouse with another man. And although nothing romantic took place, Bill has lost faith in Joan and wants out of their marriage, which the town overlords spin into a newspaper campaign about how the morals of the Hardy family are rotten to the core. Also, young Marion has met and fallen for a new guy in town, Wayne Trent, who's been hired by the town bosses to work on their project. If the judge stops it from happening, then it might scupper Marion's new love affair, and she tells him so. Well, what about my side of it, darling? I've sworn to uphold the law, to do my duty. I suppose it's your duty to ruin your family's life, too. Oh, now, dear child, there's no use tearing your heart to pieces over this. Then you stop doing it. You talk about duty and law and all that bunk. They're just words to me. All I can feel is that you're trying to ruin my life for me. I don't care if you are my father. I think you're a blind old fogey. That's what I think. With all of these plates spinning, the judge must find a solution that not only clears his family's good name, but saves both daughters' heartbreaks and stops the nefarious antics of the town villains. Can he think of something in time for the town hall meeting at which everyone is about to have their say? He has always done his duty at whatever cost. I nominate Judge James K. Hardy! Tell the boys to let go with everything. Spread the dirt about his daughter. Get that old mob spirit to work. Judge Hardy is acting throughout from motives of sincere conviction. What about the aqueduct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us about the aqueduct. Yes, yeah. Yeah. We've got to hear about the Martin divorce case. Yeah. Tell us what happened at the Blue Rabbit Inn. And who got caught in the private room? Go on around to the other aisle and wait until I call you. We've got to stage this. Now, while this all might sound very much like the mildest peril you can think of, the hot dog mustard of the mustard family, if you will, doesn't have the roaring heat of English mustard, it nevertheless seems to sell you on the predicament enough to make you really care about what happens to this gang of newcomers to the screen. The whole rotten businessman plan is very Frank Capra. In fact, the whole film is very Frank Capra when it comes to story beats. Here's an honorable man who's about to be railroaded by a political machine and who has to rely on his humanity and his willpower to see to it that there's a happy ending. And that's never more evident than in the film's climax, the town hall meeting. On the stage, you have the villains cackling and rubbing their hands together as the town before them bay for Judge Hardy's blood. They've totally won the day, right? Well, I won't spoil it for you, but I've seen this film more than a few times and the final 10 minutes still managed to punch me square in the heart every single time. Absolutely magical. The stuff of dreams. 
And in one fell swoop, audiences had a whole new family to root for across their 16 adventures together on screen. The series would morph and change and find all new tones as it went. It made stars of many of its players and even dealt with some truly hard-hitting subjects, such as poverty and death, all while managing to keep the world's spirits up during the Second World War. It is a remarkable series, but it owes a great deal to its Capra-like fairy tale of a first entry. I think people would dispute their own favourites in the series, but whether this is or not, I don't think you can deny that it's something very special indeed. That's 1937's A Family Affair. And incidentally, if you want to dive into the Hardy screen saga, then every single one of the series is now available in the classic movie library, if you're a patron of this show. Now, I remember thinking when I first saw the Hardy Family movies that it's a shame they didn't make a radio series because it would have suited the radio medium perfectly. And then I had my flabber pretty much totally ghasted when I found out that they did. Yes, the Hardys had a radio series, and it's kind of a nice thing to have. It's played squarely for laughs, and you don't get these sometimes heartbreaking little moments of poignancy, but there they are. Mickey Rooney, Lewis Stone, and Faye Holden reunited on the air for a weekly slice of small-town gentle comedy, and it's pretty delightful. The episode I've chosen for you today is called Andy's Jangled Nerves, which incredibly is all about Andy and his jangled nerves. So I'll leave you in Carvel in the very good hands of the Hardy family, and I'll see you afterwards. From Hollywood, here's Mickey Rooney, Louis Stone, and Faye Holden in The Hardy Family. We're proud to present The Hardy Family based on the famous Metro-Golden-Mayer motion picture series, which brought delight to millions and reflected the common joys and tribulations of the average American family. And now here are the same great stars in the parts they created on the screen. Louis Stone, Nicky Rooney, and Faye Holden, The Hardy Family. of the Hardy family is about to reach an end. Great-grandma Bess stitched the finest quilts in town. Grandma Maggie tatted the best lace doilies in the county. And Mrs. Hardy holds all prizes for knitting the most beautiful African robes. But so far, the only thing Andy Hardy seems destined to sow is wild oats. Uh, Emily, may I interrupt you long enough to uh, ask a question? What you, uh, oh, oh, yes, certainly, James, certainly. Well, I've been sitting at this table here for 15 minutes. Oh, goodness, that's a hard question, dear. I don't think I know the answer. <laughs> well, the question is, why am I sitting here? That's obvious, dear. You're having your breakfast. Oh, am I? Mm-hmm. Uh, look at my plate. What do you... Oh, the plate. Yes, it's a lovely plate, isn't it? 
Yes, but there's nothing on it. James, really, you shouldn't gobble your food so fast. I've been gobbling. I've just been sitting here waiting and drooling. <laughs> Thank you, dear. The hot cakes were good, weren't they? Emily, if you can tear yourself away from your knitting for just a moment, you'll realize that you haven't served me any breakfast yet. Oh, oh goodness, I'm sorry, dear. I'll get you some hot cakes right away. The same thing happens every year at this time. I wish you wouldn't take your study club's charity bazaar quite so seriously. James, I made up my mind I'm going to win first prize for my knitting this year. Uh, it's not worth the torture you go through, my dear. Oh, I love every minute of it. All right, then it's not worth the torture I go through. A household routine completely disrupted, meals at all hours, knitting needles in my bed. Oh, James, you're exaggerating. There, you'll feel better after you've had your hotcakes. Oh, thank you. I put butter and syrup on them already. See, I give you even better service at these times. Yeah. Emily. Yes, dear. Either this knife is very dull or I'm trying to carve a potholder. Dear. Uh, may I trade this in for some hotcakes, please? <laughs> I'm afraid I didn't make any, dear. We're having bacon and eggs this morning. That's fine, that's fine. Anything just so it's food. We're out of bacon. Well, I'll settle for eggs. I forgot to get some. Oh, Emily, don't tell me that... Oh, now, shh, dear, dear. This is such a difficult stitch. Knit one, purl two... Well, Emily, may I suggest that... James, don't you think this African robe I'm knitting is the best I've ever done? Oh, I give up. Yes, yes, it's beautiful, Emily. It's beautiful. Now... May I ask... Oh, yes, dear, they're on top of the dresser. What? Huh? The hot cakes? I put them in with your handkerchiefs. <laughs> Emily, I... I don't believe you even know that I'm here. Oh, you're sweet, James. Emily, I'm leaving you. Your hat's on the hall table, dear. I'm running away with a chorus girl. Have a nice time, dear. But I... <laughs> I'll take you back. Just a couple of hot cakes. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning, everyone. Am I late for breaking the fast? Oh, good morning, son. Yes, I believe there's one potholder left. What was that? James, is that someone at the front door? Emily, it's our son, Andrew. Oh. Well, tell them we don't want one. We already have a son, Andrew. <laughs> Ma, what was that again, please? Oh, oh, good morning, dear. Sit right down. I'll get you some hotcakes. Uh, you, you take my advice, son. You'll save a lot of time by going to a restaurant. What's the matter? What's going on here? Uh, the study club's charity bazaar. Oh, oh, I, I get it. I see the bazaar. Yeah, Mom's trying to finish her Afghan robe by tomorrow night. Is that it? Yes, your mother is with us in body only until after this contest. No breakfast? Well, I wouldn't advise it. Andrew, I'll give you a lesson in real concentration right now. You just watch me. All right. Uh, uh, Emily. Yes, James? I hope you lose the contest tomorrow. Oh, that's awfully nice of you, dear. Uh, <laughs> you see, Annie? See what I mean? It's amazing. Can I try? Go ahead. <laughs> Mom, that thing you're knitting looks terrible. Oh, thank you, dear. I didn't think you'd noticed it. <laughs> you know, this is sort of weird. Nothing on her mind but knitting. Well, now you know what people mean when they say tend to your knitting. <laughs> it's kind of pitiful to see someone get the knitting habit, though, huh? Pitiful. It's like a drug. Poor mom. She doesn't hear a word we say. Yeah. Hmm? What is that? I sort of hate to suggest this, but, well, you know how she is when we try to 
go out and play a game of golf. Yes, I know, I know. Always finds a thousand and one things that need doing around the house. Yeah, well, but we'll never get another chance like this. Oh, there you go. I think that's taking an unfair advantage. Oh, come she'll never know the difference. You don't think so? Yeah. Well, maybe huh? you're right. Huh? I'll get my clothes. Good, good. Uh, James? Uh, yes, my dear. You won't have time for golf. I want you to help me with this yarn now. <laughs> have time to drop me off the courthouse, Andy? Sure, Dad. Got a busy day, but I can manage it. Uh, don't forget that shopping list your mother gave you. Shopping list? That was a list of the things she wanted me to do for the bazaar tomorrow night. Well, that bazaar is the annual high spot in your mother's life. Uh, see, I gotta get chairs over the town hall today, haul lumber for the booths, pick up 50 rolls of crepe paper, hang lanterns, get 50 rolls of tickets. Oh, hold, hold, Cobb, hold, hold on. How in the world can you do all that in one day? That? <laughs> That's nothing, Dad. i got to go out and sell at least 20 gallons of super spray to hold my job at the office, too. I, 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 really, I don't see how you manage so much activity. Yeah. Just happen to be supercharged. That's all, Dad. Full of energy, good red blood. Activity is what keeps me ten jumps ahead of the other guys. <laughs> yeah, okay. Wait, hold it. Yeah. Just a minute. Look over there, Andrew. What's that? Well, that's one of those uh, portable x-ray trucks parked by the curb. Oh, yeah, I, I heard it was coming to Carvel. Free chest x-rays. That's a great thing. Something everyone should get. That's right. You know, that's a wonderful idea. You know, we ought to stop a minute and take advantage of it. See a doctor? Let, a, let him look inside of me? No, Andrew. Dad, I take care of the outside of me. Let the inside take care of itself. <laughs> Take very long, Andrew. And you're next, I believe. Dad, you don't have to be afraid to tell me. Did you suffer much? Oh, no suffer, though. Well, there's nothing to it. I hope not. But every time I sit in the doctor's office, I begin to, I begin to feel sick. Everybody that comes in looks sick. You're next, young man. Look at him. He's the sickest-looking character I ever saw. Andrew. That's the doctor. Oh, oh. Excuse me. Well, I'd better go in then, I guess. All right. I'll wait for you. Uh, Dad. Yes? Maybe I'd better come back tomorrow. No, no, no. Go right in. Only take a minute. Okay, I'll... Dad. Andrew, I I assure you, it's completely painless. Oh, sure, I know. Well, I feel feel kind of faint. Uh, That's just because you haven't had any breakfast. Go on in. Go on in. All right. See you later, Dad. <laughs> well, how do you do? Right over here, please. Uh, name Andrew Hardy, next to Ken Judge, and Mrs. James Hardy, type of blood A. Just <laughs> mail the body to any. <laughs> well, now, there's no need to be nervous. Just remove your shirt, please. No, I'm, 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 not, I'm not nervous. How would, you, how would you like me to pose, Doc? Alone or a family group shot? <laughs> well, now, 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 just face this plate and put your shoulders against it. Yeah. Uh, well, I... Uh, what are, you, what, are you, what are you going to do behind my back there? Just shooting a picture. My, my, my profile is better. <laughs> no, 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 no. Please, please, hold still. Uh, wait, wait, wait. I, I don't want to know. I don't want to know what's going on. Let no, me out please, of here. Please, please. I'm going to stop it now. Let, let, let me live on in ignorance. Quiet. 
Oh, you stuck me with a needle. I'm bleeding. <laughs> that was just the X-ray machine clicking. That was just the one. Oh. Uh. What, what, what next? That's all. That's all? Well, that was easy. Hope you got a good picture, Doc. Ought to, ought to be a beauty. <laughs> yes, I, I think your chest is all right. Certainly, I was healthy. <laughs> you think my chest is all right? What kind of a... Well, you're, you're very nervous for a young man. Well, it's just energy, Doc, that's all. Just, just, just energy. <laughs> well, as a doctor, I can warn you that it's very dangerous to be so high-strung. It is? Yes, you keep up at a pace like that and you'll explode one of these days. Doc, I exploded the day I was born. <laughs> I'm just a shower of sparks as it is. Well, you'd better learn to slow down if you want to reach a ripe old age. It's really serious. Yes, indeed. What's wrong with me, Doc? Well, I think it's your adrenaline supply. You mean I'm running low on adrenaline? Running low? It's coming out of your ears. Oh. I wish there were some way to tap you and bottle the stuff. I could make a fortune. Doc, you look, you've, got, you've got me worried. What, 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 what can I do to relax on? Huh? Relax? Slow down the pace. The pace that's too fast. Well, there kills. are a couple of very helpful therapeutic treatments. Uh, tell me, Doc, I, I want to live to be a ripe old guy. Well, you need to concentrate and uh, keep your mind from running away with you. Well, what, what can I do? What? Uh, try basket weaving. Try basket weaving? Yeah. Holy cats, I'm a salesman. I've got to be out and around all day ringing doorbells. What would people think of me if they came to their front door and found me sitting on the porch weaving a basket? <laughs> yes, I'm afraid that's impractical in your case. Well, there is one more thing. Oh, let me hear it. It's something you can do at odd moments in the evening yes. or during the day when you're just waiting for a customer, go perhaps. Yeah, well, good. That, that sounds like the idea. What is it? Now, if you heed my advice, you'll take it up right away. Well, I will. I will. Tell me what it is. Knitting. <laughs> hey! Mickey Rooney, Louis Stone, and Faye Holden. There are two positive ways to avoid a frayed and shattered nervous system. Number one, stay away from Andy Hardy. And number two, stay away from Andy Hardy. Emily. Andrew. Anyone seen the evening paper? Oh, James, please. I've got to finish this after by tomorrow morning. One, girl, two. Oh, good heavens. Andrew, have you seen the paper? Andrew! Dad, please don't shout in my ear. You know how high-strung I am. Uh, <laughs> but have you seen the paper? Shh. Knit one. Pearl <laughs> two. Ah, oh, this is ridiculous. Andrew, it's all right for your mother to knit. She's made a lifetime hobby of it. But you... I told you, Dad... It's to quiet me down. Keep me from being so nervous. How's it getting positively eerie? I feel like I'm living with a couple of zombies. Knit one, pearl two, uh, two, uh, pearl four. Knit one, pearl two, knit 
two. Knit two pearl. Knit 23 and pearl 95. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I just wanted to get into the conversation. Oh. oh, dear, I'll have to rip out a whole row. I think I'll just leave the mistake in my knitting. It looks better than the other part. This is a silly thing for a healthy young man to be doing in a beautiful evening. Dad, look, do you want me to explode someday? Do you enjoy seeing me with frayed and jangled nerves? Oh, your nerves. Say, every time I walk down the street, little kids come running out. What's that? I jangle so loud they think I'm the ice cream wagon. Well, have you got any extra yarn there? What? My nerves are about snapped, too. I may as well knit a few animacazas or something. Dad, look, please don't joke about this thing. What is that thing you're knitting? Looks like an awning. <laughs> it happens to be a pair of very good argyle socks. Oh, oh. are they wearing them hip length this year? <laughs> you just don't understand knitting, Dad. I knit them long, put them on, and cut them off to fit. <laughs> Son, I, I wish you'd forget all about this knitting business. Wouldn't you rather go over and see Polly Bennett tonight? No, 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 no. I just look at her and get nervous all over. Now, now, look, you... Oh, you made me drop a stitch. Well, wouldn't you much rather be out riding by the lake with Polly? Knit one, Pearl two, knit one, Pearl two. Strolling in the moonlight. Knit one, Pearl two, knit one, Pearl two, knit one, Pearl two. a kiss. No, knit six, five, twelve, Oh, for Christ's sake, Dad. Andrew, where are you going? Over to Polly Benedict's. What? If it turns out as good as your description, I may come home with a complete nervous breakdown. <laughs> Andy, isn't the lake beautiful tonight? Uh, oh, yeah, I, I, I guess so, Pa. You haven't driven me out here for a long time. I know. Polly, look, I'm, I'm very, very nervous. I'm a nervous lad. Would you mind talking about business or something? Just, I'm nervous, Pa. Business? Andy Hardy. Okay, let's talk about the charity bazaar tomorrow night, dear. The... Well, you didn't used to act this way when we parked out here. I know, but... but you used but to I'm... want me to snuggle up close to look, you look, and... Polly, please, Like please. this and... Please you put your arm around me. Polly, you don't know yeah. what you're doing to my like nervous that. system, Polly. <laughs> and then with my face close to yours, like this. Uh. <laughs> Do you remember what happened? You made my ears start twitching. What? Andy, what's wrong with you tonight? You're looking at a man who's just a bundle of nerves. Oh, that's silly. One little kiss and you'll be as calm and quiet as a lamb. No, 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 don't. I... I... I can feel my nerves tying into knots when you do that. Well, if you're afraid of one little kiss, what's going to happen to you at the bazaar tomorrow? The bazaar? Yes. Did you forget you're in charge of the kissing booth? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, if you sell as many kisses as you did last year, you're going to be a nervous wreck. Well, I'll have to cut down on it. No more free ones. you could let someone else take over the booth. Polly, I promised Mom I'd do it. Who else can take in as much money as I can selling kisses? <laughs> Andy. Yes, dear. Wouldn't you like to give me a free sample tonight? No, please, no samples. I've, I've got to save my strength for tomorrow. Oh, don't resist. Huh? Come here. Oh, why do I have to be irresistible? Now look at me again. Huh? 
There. Yes, dear. Doesn't that do something to you? I gotta relax. I gotta concentrate. I gotta... Andy, darling. Just, what do you... What do you... Isn't there something you'd like to do right now? Yes, yes. Well? Knit one, pearl two. <laughs> told four times. I guess Mom's club must be taking in plenty of money. What are you doing in that booth? This is the kissing booth. Five cents a kiss. I'll take 20. <laughs> Beasy, look, I, I happen to be doing the kissing. You mean I just get to watch? Oh, you buy a ticket and you get to kiss me. Oh, well, I'll just try one and see if I like it. <laughs> Beasy, look, this is a booth for girls. Gosh, you sure get the breaks. I wish I could work in a booth like that. I wish you could, too. Every time I kiss a woman, I have to knit ten rows to get my nerves back in shape. Knit? Yeah. I'm knitting these here socks, see? Yeah, it helps me relax. You, Andy. Huh? Here I am again. Oh, no, Gloria. Look, give, give some of the other customers a chance, will you, dear? Buckle up, Andy. I've got 15 tickets this time. Oh. I'll be glad to take care of you for free, Gloria. I'm all puckered. Oh, you horrible little man. Oh! You see, Beezy, some men can sell them and some men can't give them away. <laughs> All right, Andy. Hmm? Uh, oh, oh, wait a minute, dear. Wait till I get my knitting. Uh, okay, let's go. Knit one pearl Knit two pearl Well, Polly, go spend them on the dark games. Andy you? Hardy, I bought all these tickets so I could spend the rest of the night kissing you at this booth. Polly, I'm a complete nervous wreck. I've knitted so much I see argyle spots before my eyes. <laughs> well, I'm tired of seeing you kiss every girl in town. Here's my tickets, and you might as well put up a sold-out sign. Okay, let's let's smooch. <laughs> And I've got 99 more tickets to go. More yarn! More yarn! Andy! Oh, Andy! Hi, hi, Mom. How's the bazaar going? Oh, just fine, dear, but I wanted to see you. Oh, Mom, please, I, I'm all smooched out. Huh? Oh, 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 I don't want to kiss you. You don't? Oh, no, that isn't what I mean. You know, no, I, oh, I'm just so nervous. They, they're going to judge the knitting in an hour. Well, honey, look, now, don't you worry. That Afghan robe you made is a beaut, really. It's a first prize winner if I ever saw it. Oh, I do hope so, Andy. You remembered to bring it over, didn't you? Oh, sure, I... Huh? Yeah, did you give it to Mrs. Roberts like I asked you? Mrs. Oh, yeah, oh, Mrs. Roberts, yes, I... Sure, I, I gave it to her, Mom. I, it's, it's all taken care of, dear. Oh, it's, good. It's well, taken care of. I'd better get back to my booth. Yes, dear. Goodbye. Dear, I wish the condos were over. Thank you. Beasy. Be Beasy! Beasy! Come on. 
Come here. Hi, Andy. But I forgot to bring my mother's entry for the knitting contest. Run over to the house and get it for her, will you? Knitting? Yeah, it's on top of the radio. An Afghan. An Afwitch? Just bring the thing on top of the radio and get it over here quick. Give it to Mrs. Roberts in the booth number three. Yeah, okay, Booth, Andy. booth three. Booth three, oh, That's right. Uh, oh, that was close. Oh, Andrew. Oh, oh hello, Dad. Quite an affair, isn't it? Yeah, sure. It, it's sellout. My nerves are completely frayed. Your nerves? Haven't you forgotten about your nerves yet? Dad, you don't know how much good knitting has done me, though. Why, I've been able to keep from going crazy today just by knitting. That's an enormous sock you've knitted there. You do it all today? Oh, I just knitted this at the beginning of the... Dad, this isn't the sock I was knitting. Hmm? It's Mom's afghan. (laughs) This is terrible. Beezy will pick up my argyle sock and enter it instead. Mom is counting on her afghan being in the contest. Well, you've got it right there in your hand. All you have to do is take it over and enter it. Dad, I, I, I can't. Why not? Whoever heard of an afghan robe with a heel and a toe in it? And that was The Hardy Family with Andy's Jangled Nerves, starring Mickey Rooney, Louis Stone, and Faye Holden. Lovely to hear them. Well, that's it from me for this little edition. I will be back with you in the coming week for the Christmas special. Can you believe it's that time of year again? Remember, if you want hundreds more hours of this show, plus a weekly invite to the Film Club, which is screening some gorgeous festive movie programming through December, plus instant access to the new Secret History of Hollywood episode, Thin, Part 1, all about the Thin Man series. It's four hours long. Then all you have to do is trot on over to patreon.com slash attaboysecrets and sign up. It only takes a second, or you can use the link in the show notes of this here episode. Happy Christmas shopping, folks. Hope your trees and your tinsel all go up effortlessly. I'll see you for the Christmas special, but until then, take superb care of yourselves and those you love. And bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and e-books, and every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.